Well, hello, and welcome to the Insecurity Project. I'm your host, Jamin Fraser, and I am on a mission to end the unnecessary suffering caused by the fear of not being good enough. We've all got it. We've all got to work through it. But thankfully, there is a clear, intelligent, and complete solution to the insecurity problem, and that is what this project is all about. Hope you enjoyed today's program. My guest today is Kim Farmacus Stevenson. Kim is a great friend of mine, uh, and I've had the privilege of training her to become a coach. Kim is also an international level powerlifter. Her achievements include fourth in the world in her weight division, gold at Commonwealth, silver at World Championships, gold at Asia, Oceania, and countless Australian, Asia, Oceania, and Commonwealth records. As this interview goes to air, she's currently competing in the World Bench Press Championships in Japan. Kim also has a passion for empowering women to be both strong emotionally and mentally. She is an empowered eating specialist, freeing women from emotional eating. I'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation today. We talk about Kim's own journey in actually dealing with her insecurity to be someone who's able to be useful to others and hear uh, the, the stuff that has been most important for her to learn along the way. So I'm sure you'll find this useful and I uh, hope you enjoy today's conversation. Kim, uh, welcome to the show. So stoked to be able to have this conversation with you. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very honored to actually just speak and spread my message. So thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, definitely your message aligns so much with the Insecurity Project, which we'll get into as we go through the conversation. Um, you know, as with all my guests, I'm always fascinated by the backstory. And, you know, often when we see people show up in the world in their power doing cool stuff, stuff, and sometimes we imagine it, they just kind of were always like that or somehow, you know, they, they had an unfair advantage or something just was given to them, you know, which is never mm-hmm. the case. And so yeah. hearing how a person got to where they are, how they managed to overcome obstacles, how they dealt with their stuff is, is always super useful because that's the stuff that we can go, ah, okay, I see that. I can see what they did differently. I can see how they overcome that. That's useful. I can use that as well. So can you tell us Absolutely. a bit about your backstory and, and um, you know, specifically what it was like being a, a kid in your family and the role that your parents played on shaping your self-esteem from an early age? Okay. Awesome. And when I actually thought about this question, it made me really think my mum didn't have the best strategies when it came to self-esteem and that also meant that she picked some very wrong partners and that also unfortunately led to domestic violence. So having grown up in what some people might call a traumatic upbringing, Certainly lended towards low self-esteem, especially as a teenager, not knowing my place in the world, and then going to a place of running amok and drinking and partying nonstop as a teenager because I really felt like now looking back that there was something missing and there was a hole missing from my world, and that for me was my self-esteem. I wasn't confident with who I was. I didn't know my place in the world. I had been beaten down so much that I just was really lost. 
And then mm. I started a journey of self-development. My self-development actually started when I was 20, and it was kind of funny. I was working out at Ayers Rock because I'd left my hometown of Noosa, which is where I grew up, a little country or seaside town. And I'd moved to Ezrock because I needed to get out. And Ezrock, now known as Uluru, is a very, very spiritual place. And just so happens that on one of my flights, I was sitting next to a gentleman and he gave me the book, uh, The Road Less Traveled. And he's like, I'm reading this book and it's really awesome and you really should listen to it. Uh, listen to it, sorry, read it. And from there, that book actually taught me that you can choose a different path you're not your own story and then fast forward few years almost 10 years later to this ongoing self-development journey to where I was doing bodybuilding and I started in bodybuilding because I was still pursuing perfectionism because if I was perfect then everybody would love me and the part of that yeah, right. came back to that story of when I was a child, my biological father left when I was two. And I thought that I had to be perfect for everybody to love me. And that meant all through my schooling years, I was the top of my class and then I got bullied. So when I got bullied, I'm like, okay, so my strategy about being perfect and top of my class and being the straight A student is not working. I'm going to rebel and then be the best partying girl and be a party girl. And I was the best party girl ever. I convinced everybody to come out clubbing with me and running amok. And then mm. that strategy turned into bodybuilding where I would be perfect and have the ideal body. And that meant being 9% body fat, which that's not healthy, but that pursuit of absolute perfectionism. And then this then turns into powerlifting. So I then from bodybuilding went to powerlifting. And when I got to powerlifting... I, on my first ever comp, broke the Australian record unofficially. Uh, that was only because I wasn't subjected to drug testing for an extended period of time. You have to be subjected to drug yeah. testing for three months to be able to verify records. Uh, so I didn't, unoffic I unofficially broke it. And then when I went to officially broke it when I had been registered for long enough, I kept choking. And I kept choking because there was that desire to be perfect. And it's all this unconscious driver as to why I had to be perfect for everybody to love me. I had to be perfect on the platform. And then on such a public platform, I kept choking. So that's where I had to really go back and figure out where all this low self-esteem and low self-confidence and not believing in myself, where did it all come from? And I spent a considerable amount of time and money unpacking that with a life coach because I needed to find out where it came from and until I reframed it, I wasn't going to succeed and get my Australian records, which then went on to be Commonwealth records, Asia, Asia uh, Oceania records and take gold and silver at Commonwealth and Worlds. It wasn't until I unpacked all of that that I was actually able to get where I am. Yeah, well, incredible ride. So much to unpack there. I'm mm, fascinated uh, about lots of stuff in there. Um, mm. Just go back to that to the book when you were 20. Mm. So uh, the idea that you had had choice. Um, yeah. So this this idea that uh, hopelessness is really the illusion of no choice. So, yes. you know, when you feel like you have no choice, well, what do you do? You just survive and you make the best of what you've got. But when you consider you've got choice and your choice actually 
can make a difference, well, then hope, real hope comes flooding back because you've got options. Yes. Um, so I'm, I'm fascinated. When you kind of went back and, and as you kind of noticed yourself being massively hindered by a, a backstory and a fear of inadequacy and a drive for perfectionism and it was really showing up at the highest level for you and, and stopping your goals, when you went back and kind of explored that, um, yeah, I'm really interested in what, what choice that you saw you had that, that actually gave you the ability to change your story? What, what became apparent when you went back? So I think there's layers and the layers, I'm now 37 and I think the layers have just bit by bit come undone. So back when I was out at Uluru, I was working in hospitality and part of that journey to discovering that I could rewrite my past was believing that anything is possible. And I started journaling and writing in my journal all the things that I wanted to achieve. And from there, yeah. just that pure visualization enabled me to tick off everything that I wanted to achieve while I was out there, which was I started out in housekeeping and then I went on to, I became a supervisor of the restaurant. I worked in the fine dining restaurant and I was supervisor of the cocktail bar. And these were all things I wanted to achieve. They were very career driven for me. So yeah. I was then able to visualize what was possible there. And that was that start of, okay, I can dream my life into existence. So that was probably the first layer. And I was only 20, so emotionally there was still a lot of growing to do. Uh, mm. Then the next point would probably be when I was 28 and I was still sabotaging my results in bodybuilding. And that's when... It was rock bottom for me and I suffered from an eating disorder from that time because that was all about that desire to be perfect. And I then went back and again had to look at my life and go, okay, well, what is it that I need to unpack further? And that was the non-existent relationship with my biological father. So I then went back and I met him for the first time, I realized that the piece of the puzzle didn't fit and that was okay, but I'd found what I believe was missing and yeah. I could rewrite the story that I was lovable. It wasn't actually my fault that he didn't yeah. love me. He just didn't have the resources back then and still to this day didn't have the resources to love me in the way that I wanted to be loved. So that was part of the next layer, I believe, to unpacking why I was sabotaging my own results, why I felt insecure, why I had low self-esteem, was yeah. realizing that, okay, here's a guy that just didn't have the resources and still doesn't have the resources, and that's okay. Does that kind of answer yeah. the question? Well, it actually does answer the question, and this is, this is really important because... Uh, you know, you've obviously we're going. To, well, obviously, we'll hear how the story ends for you, and obviously, mm. for you to have been able to do what you're doing at the moment and, and not choke, you've had to have resolved yeah. this 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 challenge internally. Um, but I think what you've just mentioned is really really important because, um, you know, typically when people look back at what has caused them pain in their lives, they they inevitably position themselves as a victim in that story. So mm. I am the yeah. way that I am because, you know, my mum was, 
insecure and kept picking the wrong man, which created this violent, unstable upbringing. I, I am the way I am because, you know, my biological dad left, you know, and, and I didn't choose those things. So those things hurt me and impacted me and weakened me and left me feeling unvaluable. As the story goes, like that's your story is, is the same as everyone's story to a degree. Everyone looks back at the stuff, the painful stuff, and because it's happened, that's why I feel the way that I am. Yeah. So the layer of choice which you're describing is actually go back and realize that you chose a story about why those things happened and what they meant about you. Yeah. And ultimately, that story was the thing that created pain and dysfunction for you, not the actual experience. Because yes. otherwise, yes. it was the experience. And if you've had terrible things happen to you, you'd have, you'd have a terrible life. If you've had good things happen to you, we'll have you wonderful. You'd have a wonderful life. But obviously, that's not how the world works. No. Um, so for you to go, actually, I, I I'm going to go revisit, revisit the fact that I made a choice. I chose the fact that, you know, when my dad left, I decided that Nancy left because I w- wasn't worthy of love, and I've been striving to prove that I am by being perfect ever since. I'm actually yes. going to go back and make a different choice and choose to go. No, no. I am worthy of love and his behavior doesn't actually say anything about my worthiness and his inability to love me doesn't, doesn't define anything about me. That's his stuff. So it's, it's so answer to the question. It's so important. I, I, I'm grateful that you've shared so honestly about that because I think if, when people get that, when they understand that they're not the storyteller, they're sorry, they're not the actor in the story. They're the storyteller. And, They've already been the one choosing their story. It's just such a, a shift because, like, oh my goodness, I already know how to write stories. Beautifully. Well, thank you. And I think about this. I write about this. I talk about this, about this every day, and I feel like that's the purpose of the insecurity project is to make is to do some good thinking about this stuff and to be clear around how how you actually deal with this, rather than you just kind of hope that somehow you, something you're doing is working. He deserves. It's a big problem. It deserves some clear thinking and some some um, clear process. So that's that's my life's work. So uh, I thank you that you think it's clear. I, I hope it. I hope it is clear. I've worked hard at it to be clear. So that's cool. Yeah. No. That, um, thank you. Right. So so moving on. When you kind of you mentioned layers and you mentioned that the layers of choice and taking more choice and taking more responsibility for those choices, uh, obviously gives you the power to start changing and creating a life that you desire. And uh, so tell us, tell us as you grew and as you developed the, the stuff that worked along the way and what you started to notice in terms of your ability to actually live a meaningful life and not be choked and not pull back and tell, tell us what happened next. Uh, okay. There's one more, I think one more layer to that uh, was I had a marriage breakdown and that also led me to believe I made a story about myself that I was a failure because I couldn't succeed at marriage so that was further unpacking there and that took another year to unpack that layer that I didn't necessarily fail there's no such thing as failure only feedback and learning and my biggest Hmm. learning was okay, I'm going to unpack everything from my childhood so that when I go into another relationship that I don't bring that excess baggage to the next relationship. And it's things like learning how to communicate effectively and realizing that 
only I can love me the way that I need to be loved. So wow. there, that was probably the next layer, and it's, again, not placing meaning and belief on the failure of the marriage, but actually taking away the learning from that. Wow. Yeah, amazing choice. And uh, then... Well, and, sorry, keep going. <laughs> and then it was about really getting clear, okay, what is it that I really want? What impact do I want to leave on the world? What legacy do I want to leave? And at that stage, I then moved into powerlifting and I wanted to show women that they can be strong regardless of their past, regardless of what has happened to them. They don't have to play victim. And if they can show up in a place of strength, whether that be in the gym just generally strength training or facing their fears because when you change your physiology, especially when you're lifting weights, everything changes. Your posture changes, your outlook on life changes, your confidence changes, all from this physical activity of actually lifting weights and I wanted to prove that women can do that. Yeah, well... And that's been something that you've continued to explore and set up a whole business around now, by the sound of things. So part of my legacy was about showing that women could be strong, but also, and I actually trained under you at Fraser Holmes, was to then add life coaching to my already qualifications of uh, personal training and nutrition so that it became a holistic approach and now my niche market is women that emotionally eat and emotionally binge eat because I know through the power of my own journey and my own disordered eating, it's not until we change that thought and belief about ourselves that happen from the ages of zero to seven that we can actually have the power back. Yeah, and well. for so long I'd given away my power to my childhood and I want to prove to women that you don't, need to do that anymore. You can choose a different outcome. Yeah, so cool. Um, and you also have been remarried recently. Yep, yes. So <laughs> tell, along tell that journey that. So along that journey of learning to love myself in the way that I needed to be loved and I don't know, have you heard of the five love languages by Gary Chapman? I have. Yes, I absolutely love that book. And not only from a relationship capacity, but also I get my clients to do it from a personal capacity. So for me, physical touch and spending time are my two top love languages. So when I need to, I have a phrase I call nurture your soul. So when I need to nurture my soul, I will take myself off to the beach to spend time with myself because time is my love language. Or if it's If I want to use physical touch as my love language, then I use Aesop moisturizer and wear nice clothes because they feel good on me and I put a face mask on and I do things to nurture my soul that are in line with my love language and it's just all about those layers to show me that I love me and that I am worthy. I am worthy to take off to the beach or go to the movies by myself I can do things to show me that I love me and not look for external people or things to prove that I am worthy. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, 
you don't have to tell us anything about your marriage, but is, is there anything else to say <laughs> oh, no, around I, the relationship? Because, <laughs> only because sorry, I, I don't mean gonna... to cry, no, um, no, but no. it's kind of fruit. It's fruit of change. Like, I yeah. love thinking about um, behaviour at the end of the assembly line. People are so often focused on behaviour management strategies to change. Mm. Just don't do that anymore. Just be better. Just stop thinking like that. Just try harder. But when you actually go back and unpack the beliefs, then the behaviours automatically change and they're fruit. And so yeah. to be able then to go back back into a, an intimate relationship, having done what you said you wanted to do, then it opens up the potential for a meaningful relationship. Yeah, that is an incredible thing. That's a that's an amazing part of the story. So I'd love to hear that. I'd love to anything, any insights you've got around what made that possible and um, that whole experience that you'd be willing to share. That'd be useful. Absolutely, absolutely. So obviously, back when my other marriage broke down, it was a big thing about not taking my baggage into a new relationship. So I've talked about yeah. working on that. But I also realized that communication was a big thing, that it was a skill that I was lacking. So I've spent a lot of time reading various either self-development books or books on relationships so that I know in this this current relationship with my husband, I will actually speak up. So if I feel that my needs aren't being met, I actually articulate to him in a nice manner, in a manner that's loving and just so I need this because I feel that I'm missing this. And the biggest thing that I learned along that journey is actually to speak up and it is okay to speak up as long as you have like a soft start-up and it's not in a condescending or judgment way. It's just like, okay, this is my need and this is what I need at. And I'm very, very strong in my communication style because I know what has happened previously that if I don't speak up then you can't put things on like push things under the carpet and expect your partner to read your mind it doesn't happen like that so that uh, one of the other things that my husband has said to me is that you're not a broken bird I don't need to fix you so he's had partners in the past where he they've lacked self-confidence and self-esteem where he's felt that he's had to look after them or or fix them, which is obviously not his job to do. It's a person's own job to actually fix themselves. Mm. And for me, that I could show up as a strong, independent woman that can also be loved. And I have a, a saying that, like, I'm strong and independent enough to change my own flat tire, which has actually happened in our marriage. It was a couple of uh, weeks after we got married, I had a flat tire. And, yes, I am very capable of changing my own tire, but I messaged him saying, I've got a flat tire at the shops and my tire's flat, and he's like, yeah, I'll come and fix it. And yeah. if I was to go down the old Kim route, it would be, oh, no, I can do it. I'm strong and independent. I can do this all by myself. Where now I've learned that it's okay to let someone look after me. And yeah. that is because I no longer have anything to prove. Yeah, well, amazing. And that's the thing, nothing to prove, nothing to defend. That is a game changer right there. If you can show up yeah. with your cup full, uh, that means you have access to meaningful, loving relationships. Absolutely. You get, something to you get something to bring rather than coming needy and empty. Yeah. So I think maybe to summarize all that, speaking up, communication, and it's okay for someone to look after me and nurture me and love me because I don't have to prove that I'm strong and independent and I can do everything on my own, which is more of a lone ranger attitude as opposed to I am lovable. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah, fantastic. Uh, cool, you mentioned the love languages. Has there been 
some other books along the way. Oh, and Scott Peck's book, uh, The Road Less Travelled. Have there been other key books along the way that you'd like to mention? Um, yes. As a way of, yeah, what, what else do you like? Uh, relationship-wise, His Needs, Her Needs, How to Affair-Proof Your Marriage. Uh, mm-hmm. Anything by John Gottman. He's amazing. He's got the seven principles of making a marriage work. Uh, your book. I love your book because it's just straightforward and it's easy to understand and definitely one that I've recommended to all my clients. Uh, the Power of Habit. Uh, I can't remember the author of that one. Uh, I think it's like Charles Dugan or uh, something along those lines. That's yep. an awesome book because it talks about the neurological pathways and how to change the neurological pathways and how every single little habit we do is either moving us towards our goal or away from our goals because of neurological yep. pathways. Uh, one that you recommended actually on one of your podcasts was Denise Duffield-Thomas and she's got The Lucky Bitch, uh, Get Rich Lucky Bitch, which was all about yeah, the money yeah. mindset. I loved that book. That was awesome. And then, of course, Tony Robbins, because he's like the guru of self-development. He's the man. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, nice. What a great list. I'll make sure all those books make it to the show notes. People can look those up. I I love books. I love reading your books. I don't know if uh, you have a pile of books beside your bed, but (laughs) mine keeps growing. I'm always reading, but that pile never gets smaller. No. up until I actually moved in. Oh, sorry. Oh, you go. <laughs> I was just going to say, up until I moved in with my husband, I actually didn't own a TV. I have a massive big bookshelf full of books, mostly self-development, but I never had a TV because I spend my time reading. Yeah, books are great. And I like. there are some people that kind of feel guilty that they've got more books than they've read. I, I love it. <laughs> Even if I buy a book and I never read it, like, and I just see it. I just feel good. I feel resourced. I feel surrounded by tools. Uh, so every time I walk into my bedroom and I see a pile of cool books beside my bed, I, I smile. It makes me feel warm and fuzzy, uh, however long it's going to take me to get to those books, if I ever do. It's still <laughs> a valuable thing. So I, I love I love books. I absolutely uh, agree with you. Can I actually add a little hint for people that actually don't have the time to read? Get Audible and put it on one and a half speed and listen to books at one and a half speed. It's so much quicker. So usually if I find a book on Audible that I love, I'll buy the paper version as well because I like feeling the physical book in my hand. But sometimes it's easier for me to consume books via Audible and actually listen to them than read them. For sure. It's definitely the way of the future. Lots of people are on Audible. I, I enjoy doing that as well, although one and a half times would do my head in. I'm, uh, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'd feel so rushed and breathless. I'd be, slow down, slow down. What, too much. I can't, I can't keep up. I'd be, I'd be, I'd prefer it on half speed rather than double speed. But oh, that's okay. just me. <laughs> yep. Um, cool. Uh, do you think there's anything that we've missed if, you know, obviously, your your message to to women that they can be they can be strong, they can show up in the world strong, is a message of personal development. Obviously, the insecurity project is is a message around a, a process to actually solve the the insecurity self esteem issue. Is there anything from your journey, from the stuff that you share with your clients, that you think we've missed that you'd like to add as a way of wrapping up the conversation? 
No, I think just more just reinforcing that you can reframe your past. And until you go back and actually look at those stories, those thoughts, those beliefs, you won't be able to break through insecurity or self-esteem or emotional eating because it's, as you said, trying to put the sides on the box. That's not a strategy that works. You need to go back and reframe what has actually happened to you. Yeah, obviously, I agree wholeheartedly, for sure. Yep. Um, one, well, thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I think that's just uh, you've given listeners a real gift by sharing so honestly and some really fantastic insights. So where can people find you if they want to come hear more about you, see the cool stuff that you're doing, or that message around being a strong woman has resonated with them? Where do you hang out online? Okay, so I've got my website, transformationsbykim.com. Then Facebook is certainly another way, and Instagram. So Instagram, I share more of me as an athlete, so that'll be my training videos, my journey to Worlds, which is coming up in two weeks. So I'm off to Japan to represent Australia again in powerlifting. Just for those playing along at home, uh, what kind of weight are we talking about? What are you? How much do you bench? Um, so bench is use, my money maker, and right, I currently please. bench. Uh, I got 110 kilos at Finland for world bench last year, and this Amazing. year is Japan, and hopefully 112 or 115. And putting into perspective, I only weigh 63 kilos, so almost double Incredible. my body weight. And I can't wait to celebrate getting double my body weight because that's one of the pinnacles that most of the guys actually look for where I'll be going, yeah, I can double body weight my own body in bench. So, isn't that like, isn't that what dance can do? Is that, is that one of the great <laughs> features of ants? Yeah, the, the, I think they're 10 times their own body weight though. So <laughs> right, incredible. I'm a right, long yeah, way well. from that. <laughs> but I'll go for Amazing. one. I'll go for 126. Double, double body weight. All right, that's incredible. Uh, Thank you. Thanks so much for your time, Kim. Thanks for the conversation. And I will leave it there. Awesome. Thank you. You've been listening to The Insecurity Project. I hope you found the content and conversations useful. And remember, you are not just the actor in the story, you are the storyteller. You have the ability to turn this all around. For more information about overcoming insecurity, check out theinsecurityproject.com.